Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Scott Simmons Podcast. Uh, today we have a, I guess, well, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but it definitely will make you think. But today we're going to be talking about the topic of tithing, um, especially looking at tithing in the uh, Bible and tithing in our modern age and kind of really dissect those two things. So joining me and helping me dissect this topic of tithing is Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? It's cold. Well, you know, I don't know how much stock you put into that groundhog, but they said early spring this year. So hopefully, well, hey, fingers crossed. I'm just, I'm just happy that I actually see sun. I don't see dark clouds. So, yes, yeah, they that... said they said on the news in Cincinnati that in the month of January, we only saw 10 days out of 31 that sun. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy. It is. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so um and again, I mean it's hard because I'm a winter guy, but the problem I have is growing up in northeast Ohio, I was and being in the snow belt, I was so used to seeing snow all the time, playing in the snow, snowboarding, all that stuff. When I was in Virginia, it barely snowed and when it did, like immediately I'm outside with the kids going sledding. And then living in Columbus, it's almost kind of like the same type of weather we have in Virginia, except it's more colder than it is in Virginia. But as far as the snow amount, like I just don't get a lot of snow in Columbus. I feel like it either hits south of us or it hits north of us. And we're just kind of in this weird spot where we don't really get a lot of snow. So kind of bummed. It's about kind of that way where we live. Like we live, like you know, 30, 30 minutes north of Cincinnati, about 30 minutes south of Dayton. And right where that Interstate 70 line hits, it's like, man, they they get hammered with snow. My in-laws live in Huber Heights, and it's like it, they get four to six inches of snow. We get an inch, right? Like, it's it's crazy. And in Cincinnati, and when we watch the weather, it's like, wow, we're going to get to show that snowstorm. Cincinnati gets hammered, and then we don't get anything. So, yeah. and I would agree that this year, um, we haven't had hardly any. Like, there's not been any measurable snow, I don't think. We've had a dusting or two. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think the only amount of snow we've had, we've had like maybe an inch or two, and that's it. Which I don't care. I hate snow. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the opposite of me. Awesome. So um, before we dive into our topic of tithing, stories gone wild. Micah, do you have a story for us? Well, based on our you know, topic today, I, I, I thought about something that happened to me you know, early in my ministry. Um in regards to tithing and um, I was working at a church. I was part-time. My wife and I had either been engaged or just got married. So we were trying to figure out life as a married couple and uh, our finances and whatnot. And so um, we had been, I want to say we've been at this church, like, I don't know, three or four months. And I get a phone call and it's from the senior pastor. And I was like, hey, Pastor, what's going on? And he straight out asked me if I was giving to the church. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, are you tithing regularly? He's like, we're called to do that. And I was like, well, that's a great question. Because at the time, you know, we'd either just got married or been, you know, figuring out our finances and stuff. And I said, no, we haven't, you know, really figured that out. And also... Um, my wife and I are big fans and I'm sure we'll get into it with our topic. We're big fans of supporting <clears throat> nonprofits. We're big fans of supporting missions. We're big fans of, um, you know, supporting those in needs and going outside the four walls of the church, which I'm sure we'll get into. But like, I was just floored that as a 20 something year old, that my lead pastor called me and I don't know what the motive was behind that. Like, was he pressured because somebody was looking at the, the, the finances and didn't see our name on stuff. And I, well, let me back up just a minute. Mm-hmm. We also, um, there was online giving, but like he would say, what he said in that phone call was that he didn't see me put money in the offering plate. And I'm like, well, what about online giving? I could give online. Also, you had the option of giving as a guest and not putting your name on the offering. Like, how do you know? Like, it's none of people's business. Yeah. What you do. And so I'm sure we'll get into that. But it was just, I was, 
to this day, man, I can't make these things up, but like, it's just, I don't know. It was, it was very disheartening because it's like, um, yes, I'm giving, but really that's none of your business. And it was one of those conversations where you're like caught and you're like, you just don't know what to say. So I don't know if it's necessarily a story's gone wild, but like it kind of pertains to the topic that we're hitting. Yeah, today. I think I think it is a little wild because you know, I mean, I've it, it's 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 interesting because you know, at least that pastor, for whatever reason, and again, we are not a hundred percent sure what all this pastor knew, but sometimes there's churches who they don't want their pastors knowing anything about how much they give. And I know the last couple of churches I've pastored at, like, it was very clear that your giving is based between you and God, and we do not diverge in that information. So, like, and and again, Pastor Scott doesn't know how much you're giving. The only person who knows would be the treasurer, and that's it. Um, and except any people who count money and who do the teller work and count the money and everything else. So there's only like a few people who know about how much people give. And I think the thing that was at least frustrating for my treasurer at the last church I worked at is there would be a gentleman who would start talking about people's giving and go, I know certain people make X amount of money, but they're not giving 10%. And my treasurer was very quickly to say, hey, that's between them and God. Like, we don't get to judge or decide how much someone gives. Like, we hope we encourage and we hope that they give 10%. But if they can't or they don't for whatever reasons, that's none of our business. Like, you know, we, we can only we can only do our budget. And we can only operate based on what people give. And if People are giving, and if everyone's giving 10%, that's great. If people are giving less, you know, we have to deal with it. And But it, but then they still let this person continue to keep counting and tallying the money, which I'm thinking, well, if they keep bringing it up in meetings, because it was more than one time this person keep bringing it up in a meeting, it's like, maybe we say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be, you know, doing this anymore, because obviously it's becoming, A, it's becoming a sticking point for you that's getting you very upset, and B, it's kind of it, we don't want it to kind of get to a place where that starts leaking out to the rest of the congregation and everyone else is feeling judged or accusing people of not giving and then it becomes like a fight. So I don't know, but um, what I'm sure I, we'll get into. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I, no, I'm no, sure we'll ahead. get into it, but it's like I think too that like we, I've heard of churches too that like they want your bank account information. I know churches who do bank account. I know churches who. To be a member, to be well, not even well that, and I know some people who you have to go to the pastor and show them like your tax form, and they see how much money you gave, and then they basically say, okay, you need to give X amount of money this year, and if you don't, you know, either you're going to be kicked out of the church, or you're going to have like oh what are they called like probation which i don't know what church probation looks like but apparently that's a thing but i know some people <clears> who do that and some people are okay with that like like people are like oh this is what it means to be part of the church here's my tax information like and i find that i find that strange too but anyway so i want to kind of tell a little bit of a light-hearted um story's gone wild i shared this story actually the other day with somebody um so it's about my dad and you know, my dad grew up one of seven, rural Iowa, mother stayed at home, father worked three jobs just to put food on the table. So my dad grew up very, very poor, um, probably within the last 10 so years, he started working at this company and still there working at the company. Now he's about to retire from this company. And, you know, occasionally as he was working and business started getting better and you know he and once you have so much time in the company there's certain perks you get as someone who's like a cfo and so eventually you know you'll start getting like oh you the company's paying for your vehicle now you have a company car or hey 
we're paying for your work computer. So one time they had a thing where everybody, all the, everybody got an iPad to work, brand new iPads. Everyone got them. Okay, cool. So my dad got this and he's doing around. And, and, and the thing about my dad is after he started like kind of making a lot more money than what he's used to, there'd be times where he would call me and he'd say, Hey, I have a question about something. He'll ask me about financial advice. I'm like, dude, you're a CFO. You're a CPA. Why are you asking me financial advice? But it was mainly about spiritual things. Cause he wants to make sure he's very cautious about making sure that what he does with this money is okay. And that he's not going to, you know, upset God or, or do something that's going to cause like a stumbling block for other people. So he's very cautious about not, doing things that's gonna you know give a give a wrong look that doesn't reflect the condition of his heart so so one time you know at church he was it was his sunday to like read a scripture verse so my dad has the bible app on his ipad and it's nice because it's backlit he can zoom in so he can see the letters a little bit bigger if he needs to if since his eyes are getting older your eyes aren't as good as what they used to be so he goes up there, he has his iPad, and he starts reading a verse, and he starts reading the verse about how you can't serve God and money with this brand new iPad. And boy, <laughs> when he sat back down and go, oh, yeah, can't worship God and money if you would flaunt your brand new iPad up there, Dad. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, quit it. Stop it. And I'm just messing with him. But... <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, it wasn't me that note, but it was funny because then my mom started messing with him, too. And then my sister started. It was like our family was the one who started messing with him about it. Like, no one else seemed to care. But we, <laughs> as his family, just started messing with him. <laughs> oh, yeah, cancer of God and money with your brand new iPad up there reading the scripture off a brand new iPad, huh? Cancer of God and money. <laughs> so, Anyway. Isn't that fun when you get to to be the age where you can like be the adult and your parents are older and it's like you can harass them like they harassed you when you were younger? Oh I, yeah, it's probably one, it's probably one of my favorite things about being an adult. <laughs> we become adults so we can harass our parents who harassed us when we were little. It's just payback. That's the way the side. That's why they always say in the Bible, you know, don't like, don't harass your children to anger. <laughs> like, do it. There will be wrath. Don't have see if you do it in good fun, your kids are going to go and joke with you and mess with you and all that stuff. If you do it out of spite, then when they start messing with you, it's it's going to be very spiteful and very angry. So, don't mess with your kids. At least be if you're going to joke with them, at least be playful about it and don't be you know a jerk. So, let us go to our topic, tithing. So, Micah. First question I'm going to ask, what's the difference between a tithe and an offering? <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a reason I'm asking this question, because oh. in, my, in my ministry, in my in is my it tenure, a trick question, I guess, is what I should ask. I don't know I if answer. it's a I don't even know if it's a trick question, because in all the 10 years of ministry, anytime when that question has been brought up, every person I've asked you always gave me a different response. So I'm just I mean, kind of curious well, how you view tithes and offering and like what your definition of those two terms are. I mean, I've heard, you know, numerous things. And I've, and I've also heard like when we were in church growing up, like, you know, his tithes and our offerings, right? Like when, like, you know, when somebody comes up to pray for the offering right before it's taken in the church setting, like, you know, before we take, before we, uh, before we pray, just remember that we're going to take his ties and our offerings. And so, um, <clears throat> an offering I think is a gift, um, something extra and growing up a tithe was defined to me as one tenth of annual, <clears throat> excuse me, one tenth of an annual produce salary, basically 10% of what you make and you give it to the church. Does that answer your question or should I go further? Yeah, no, 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 no. So so I've heard that thing. A tithe is kind of what's required, which is usually a tenth of one's income. And an offering is anything extra on top of that. An offering is an extra on top. So basically it's like the tithe is a slice of cake and the offering's the whipped cream on the cake or the frosting on the cake. Um, I had one lady, because I was asking, because that was the thing, like I was asking the lady if she would serve on the board of elders one time and... um she um, t- 
told me that she didn't know she could. And I said, okay, what do you mean? She goes, well, I know to be an elder, one of the things you have to do is you have to give, you know, you have to give. And I do, even though I do give every Sunday, the problem is, is I don't write a check. I don't put it in a tithing envelope. I just put cash in the plate because what she was taught is that a tithe is something that is recorded. So like when I give a check or if I put money in a tithing envelope that has my specific number, that's a tithe. If I just throw cash in a plate and it's anonymous, then that's an offering. And she says, I don't tithe, I give offerings. So I don't know if I can serve on the elder board. And I said, hey, if you're giving anything, it doesn't matter if it's a tithe or an offering. If you're giving consistently, it doesn't matter the amount, you are eligible. And I'll double check with the treasurer, but the way I understand the rules is you would be eligible to be an elder. And then eventually she said that, you know, she found out she was pregnant. She's like, yeah, I probably won't be able to do it. I'm like, ah, okay, that's fine. You know, I understand. But I thought that was interesting that someone told me that was the difference between a tithing author and one's marked and one's anonymous, which I thought that was also, an interesting take on it too. I also think it's weird too, that like, you know, growing up, they had the envelopes, like the tithing envelopes with the numbers on them. And like, some churches still very much do that. Like, mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? And there's also been churches, you know, with, with the, with the evolution of software and, and online giving, you can just export, you know, financial report for tax purposes and whatnot and just mail it to people um, when the time comes. But like, it's, uh, it's astonishing to me that we still do some of those same things. And yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I really struggle with this topic. And um, I sent you a couple of videos last week about mm -hmm. just, I, I don't know if they're mega churches or they're just churches in general, but like the idea of, you know, theology and respect the tithing. You know, in the Old Testament, we talked about before we started recording that in the book of Malachi, it talks about tithing. But in the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, they had this big thing once a year where they brought a sacrifice to God, to Yahweh, um, once a year. So they had like the purest calf or the purest sheep or goat or ram, whatever you want to call it. And they brought it to the Lord and they sacrificed it. And so that would be the atonement for their sins for the whole year. That was like a two in one deal, right? Like one would be the atonement for your sins. And then two would be the offering. And they would do that once a year. And then the videos that I sent you last week um, on TikTok, these guys are talking like on a podcast and talking about how it doesn't say at all in the new Testament about giving an offering in respect to like the whole 10% conversation. And then I sent you a message and I was like, you know, this is kind of a, this is a topic that probably needs to be talked about because it's like, do we, do we give 10%? Are we supposed to give 10%? Does the Bible say that we give 10%, especially in the new Testament? If we, we believe that they're, you know, that's what we believe as Christ followers, that the new Testament is the new law that we're supposed to follow. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to sit back for the last 30 plus years of my life and think, hey, I've been told a lie my whole life because I'm supposed to give 10% of what I earn to the church. And if not, you're going to be in trouble with God. The way I look at it, the way that I look at it, Scott, is that not everybody can afford that. But then people were like, well, if you start with God, he will bless you. That'll be the argument, which... Again, we've had this conversation in other spaces and other topics mm -hmm. throughout the last couple of months. But, like, yeah. you, you have to think about the unchurched, the people that aren't Christ followers, the people that aren't believers. They get into church, and then it's like, where do I start? What do I do? What is this giving? What is this offering? Yeah. Am I going to go to hell because I don't give 10% of my earning? You know, my earnings. Uh, it, it's like... I'm pretty sure the New Testament doesn't say anything about, and I was looking through this the other day after I watched that video and I sent it to you, like, 
does it, that I'm aware of, there's nowhere in the New Testament that says give 10% of what you earn. Yeah. Just bring an offering to the Lord, but nothing about the 10%. So for years and years and years of my life, I've had pastors and leaders of churches tell me that I've had to give 10% of what I earn. And it's like, where's that money going? And I don't know if I sent you this video, but it's like, it said, they, they broke it down and it said in these mega churches that like 50% of offerings of the income of the church goes to salaries. Only six, a staggering 6% goes to missions. And then like the other 44% goes to whatever the pastor wants to use it for. Yeah. So let's, or yeah. This. So let's, yeah. So let's break it down. So when we look at the Bible, especially let's start with the old Testament, there's five different types of offerings in the old Testament. You had your burnt offerings, your grain offerings, your peace offerings, sin offerings, and guilt offerings. Now, a lot of these fields like they kind of overlap because like, so a grain offering would be kind of like what we would consider a tithe, right? It would be like 10% of your grain that you'd make. So if I have a hundred yards of grain, 10 of those yards, I need to give as an offering or a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, same thing. Burnt offerings was about more about perfection than peace offering was about, you know, trying to make peace with somebody. If you wrong somebody, you have a, offering to kind of build kind of repair that relationship sin offering and guilt offering pretty much are kind of the same but you know sin offerings about sin the repentance of sin and guilt offerings is if you feel guilty about something whether intentionally or unintentionally uh you know you did an offering too and a lot of times what these offerings did is, is there were ways of people that kind of show reverence to god at the mm -hmm. same time we have to remember that when we look at the 12 tribes of Israel and the amount of land that they have, the Levites had nothing. They couldn't claim land. They were the priests. They were kind of like the priests for all the different tribes. So when you do these grain offerings, these burnt offerings, any of these offerings that had to do with animals and produce and all that stuff, at the end of these offerings... That was what the Levites had to eat. That was so it was the offerings that were given to God, but it was also the offerings that the priest had so that they could eat food and that they could, you know, in some way survive and not die from malnutrition because they needed that to survive. It's kind of like when you look at the early years of Amer American church history, where sometimes farmers may not have a lot of money to give to the pastor but they could give the pastor a sack of potatoes. They can give the pastor a couple dozen eggs. Uh, you know, they could give the, pa the, the church something to kind of help support their pastor, especially when they couldn't pay their pastor. That was ways that they could show support to the pastor, not necessarily, or even to the church too. If they're like, hey, we have a bunch of potatoes, we're going to store them and we're going to kind of feed people within our neighborhood with all these potatoes or produce. Uh, New Testament where I think kind of where some of this idea of tithing and offering kind of comes from when people want to make a New Testament case is that, A, we see a lot of times Jesus and the disciples, especially in the Gospels in the book of Acts, they're going to the temple. They're doing things. Even when we look at the early church, there's a couple of times where the early church would still go to temple even because, again, most of these people are either Jew or Gentile. And that was just kind of the culture. We offer sacrifices, whether they're to Yahweh or whether they're to Zeus. We um, do give some of these. We do offer up a sacrifice or an offering to somebody. And that was just kind of the culture in the Greek world. Um, however, and actually it was a video I watched for during confirmation um, that I'm teaching with my students where um, Tim Mackey from the Bible Project kind of talks about how, you know, the sacrifices and the offerings that people in the New Testament were doing were basically helping people within their community. If people were sick, you know, you, you may be the person who buys the medicine. If someone was hungry, you'd be the person to give them food. Uh, if someone was having a rough time and needed money, you know, maybe if you were wealthy, if you're a wealthy Christian, you may have this person come and work on your fields so that they could raise enough money to, you know, fix a wall or to help fix their plow or whatever the case may be like 
the early and even if we look at Acts 2 42 through 40 uh 47 we see that they gave everybody kind of gave everything that everybody earned or had they threw in the middle they separated everything so everybody walked away evenly with stuff so those rich so the rich Christians who had who were well off the higher echelon of Christians you know they give their stuff the poor kind of gave whatever they had and they split it out and everybody walked out with even amount so the rich got a little less and the poor got a little more and everybody was happy because at the end that's what they felt like they needed to do um so when we get to this idea in a modern church where did the modern church idea come that everybody has to give 10 percent of their income and why is that especially when we don't really see that being modeled in the new testament or a command in the new testament saying everybody needs to get i mean we could look at verses like paul saying everyone loves a cheerful giver but when paul's talking about that in context he's talking about the joy that we have in the lord that propels us to give cheerfully joyfully and I think a lot of our modern things kind of comes back to kind of the establishment of Christianity being an official religion of the Roman Empire. If you go back to Constantine, you go back to kind of how things worked. Like now, you want to take care of your priests because they're the ones who are reading the word. So now you give money that goes into the storehouses. And not only does that help fund ministry, that helps fund some of the trinkets and all the different statues and stuff that you know the roman catholic churches have but it also pays for your priest because again if a priest's role is to care for christians and to preach the word of god and to care for the people that are in their church you can't have a pastor working another job and adequately care for everything or at least that's the presentation that's being made at that time and then that model has kind of gone through through the rest of time so now we have churches that have full-time pastors full-time staff that are working at the church and yet their income is coming from the people who attend that church who are giving 10 percent so you know, if you are in a mega church where you have maybe 10 full-time staff and let's say giving's a little down and you don't know how you're going to pay all these people who do all these jobs for the church, then two things are going to happen. Either you're going to have pastor go up there and preach a tithing message, which I, to be frank, I never... Anytime when I preach a tithing message, I don't think I was ever thinking, you know, I'm going to teach a tithing message today. Usually a lot of time it was prompted or it was forced by the elder board mm. or maybe the treasurer because they see, hey, things are going. And I even knew I even had one person actually say, I know pastors who will go up on the pulpit and tell them if you're not giving 10 percent, you are robbing God. And I'm thinking. I am not going to tell people that if you're not giving 10%, you are robbing God. Right. Because I don't believe that. I believe, and so the way I've always approached the topic of tithing is, you know, and again, a lot of it is, okay, Old Testament. And again, and a lot of my references to tithing always came from the Old Testament. I never pulled anything out of the New Testament. The only time I started talking about the New Testament is like, hey, what they did is they just gave all their income. And I think sometimes if you tell people that and they're thinking, okay, what do I need to do? There's the 10% in the Old Testament. And then there's my entire income in the New Testament that's going to get distributed and split. What do I want to do? I think 10% is a little bit more of a bargain than my entire income. Yeah. Well, can I take it a step further? Go ahead. So like, you know, if we're preaching, we need 10% and you talk about like the church pastor, for example, or somebody being pressured into preaching a tithing message. And then they're like, you know, we need more money because we're basically floundering right now. I... I think of the smaller church, for example, mm -hmm. what happens when things aren't going great? Pastor gets up, preaches a message on tithing and giving. 
and financially you're literally just supporting the pastor and you're supporting the bills to fund the church, right? To make sure that the lights are turned on, to make sure that the water's running, you know, like, and to pay our pastor. What are you doing then with ministry as far as going outside into the community? What are you doing in respect to giving back to the community and helping the homeless and helping the drug addict and helping, um, you know, going out into the, into the world and make disciples and doing ministry. Um, I think I sent you another video in respect to like, like growth track in, in the church. And this guy was like, well, maybe my growth track is helping a widow. Maybe my growth track is helping the homeless. Maybe my growth track is helping the drug addict. Like at what point do we, um, you know, we're preaching about giving because we can't keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. But then what are you doing with the money beyond that? Like, are we, are we missing the point when it comes to keeping the lights on in the church? And if we would have just been more um, proactive and being good stewards of God's money. And what I mean by that is, yes, you pay your pastor. Obviously you have to pay your pastor, but like, mm-hmm. what are we doing in respect to missions and what are we doing respecting in respect to um, community outreach, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, this conversation could go a number of different ways, but like, yeah. it, it, it's just, Ugh. it's very, I don't know, man. I saw those videos last week that I sent you and I felt very convicted in respect to like, it's man, I don't, so- I don't know if I should be asking for people's money because it's like, not that I'm a lead pastor at this point in my life or have been, but like to get up and feel pressure from a board of elders or board of trustees and have to say, Oh, we need to preach about giving because things are tight right now. We may not be able to pay you, Pastor. We may not. We may have to be bivocational. You may have to to cut your salary. It's like it's very, 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 very sticky. It is. It is, and it's it's hard because you know, as someone who worked in a bivocational church and someone who's worked at a full time church where I had a full time salary, you know, it's 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 a lot different. It's 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 interesting just the dynamics of of how things go. And I think a lot of it is twofold. I think first of all, it has to do with the, the understanding, the knowledge in the heart of the pastor. And then it also has to do with the knowledge in the heart of the congregation. And here's what I mean by that. So one church I worked at by vocationally, I was working at the church. I was working at target and I was working at an acting school. So I basically was working three three jobs, right? Um, and then, of course, my wife was working at a law firm. So she was driving all the way up to Cleveland and back. So, you know, that was kind of what's happening. So through there, like when you talk about missions and are we doing good, you know, the the working by vocational, I had a lot of retirees that were passionate about service and ministry and serving people. Let's open up our church to all these different groups. We're very open to everything. So we had Narcotics Anonymous. Now, were we making a killing having NA meetings in the church? No. Were we getting a little bit of compensation? Yeah, just to, you know, light, you know, just to kind of help with the light bill and, and toilet paper, you know, stuff like that. But it wasn't substantial. And a lot of times it was just, People giving donations, and that's what they could give. And that's what the church asked for, donation. If someone wanted to rent out our space for a birthday party, donation. Sure. Um, you know, if someone – actually, one time when we are looking at the bylaws one time, they had a thing about – I don't know why it was in their bylaws, but they had a thing about an honorary – like for anyone doing weddings – for the pastor, they actually had it written in there that you had to pay the pastor $600 to do the wedding. I'm thinking I've never in my life been paid $600 to do a wedding. I think the most I've, well, I mean, I usually just ask. (laughs) I just say, I just say, I mean, I ask every time when I go marry someone and they ask me what my fee is, I go, whatever you think you can afford. Yeah. Usually. I mean, and I know, and I know that's kind of hard because again, they're probably spending thousands of dollars on, the dress and the tuxedos. They're spending thousands of dollars on the reception hall. 
They're probably spending, <laughs> you know, they're spending a lots of money on the wedding. The yeah, yeah, weddings are cheap. Weddings aren't cheap. So, hey, if, you know, they're spending money on the photographer or videographer. So I know in some mindsets, it's like, well, hey, you're already spending all this money anyway. So why not pay the pastor $500 or $600, you know? But oh. where I come from, but where, but, but my mindset is this. I understand that there's a high cost of doing weddings. Do I want this couple that is newly married and I don't know how they're paying for this wedding. If mom or dad or the parents are pitching in if they're doing it all themselves, or if they're taking out a loan. Cause I know some people take out loans for weddings. Do they grief? I mean, uh, it, it has happened. Believe me. So do I, as a pastor want to send this couple to start off their marriage in a considerable amount of debt? Hmm. Because I know, especially when I'm teaching premarital counseling, I say one of the big reasons why people get divorced or why couples fight is over finances. Which is why a lot of times I ask them, you know, how much debt do you have? Because this is going to be a sticking point in your marriage. Mm -hmm. it, 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 I mean, and even though you say it's not going to be, it will be because it always is. Um, so, but working at a Bivocational church, there is that. Now, was it required that I had to tithe? I mean, it was kind of said that as a bivocational pastor, I had to tithe, even though at that time I was making, even with all, and again, you know, Church of God pastors, a lot of times you have a pastoral package and then you take your insurance out of it, your professional expenses, all this stuff out of it. So at the end, I was only making $13,000 a year. And this is when you were part-time? This was bivocational. Okay, so I was making Again, I also had student loan debt. My wife also had student loan debt. And I was also driving a lot because I had a, I was driving to Target every, every couple of days for work. And then I'd drive down to uh, Poland for the acting school, which was, you know, at least 30, 40 minutes away. So there we go. Then when I started working full time, there was almost a quiet expectation that, A, I have to tithe full time, which, you know, tithing is not an issue with me. I, I give. Um, sure. But. The, I don't think the issue with me is giving. I think the issue is that we've been told for so many years that oh, it yeah. has to be 10 percent. Yeah. And I, want, and I want to get to that. But the other thing about. There's also this expectation that because I'm full time, I'm the one that's basically doing all the ministry. So the idea of your earlier question, like, well, how do you do all this ministry? Who's doing all this ministry? Well, in bivocational, everybody was pitching and everybody's helping. Everyone's sacrificing their time to come and do stuff. Um, working full time, it was solely on me and any staff that I may have had. It was solely on me. So I had to go out and do this, do that. And, and even then, like, especially when it came to tithing, people would get mad. Hey, you're not giving 10%, but yet there'd be some people like Sunday school teachers, for example, who would buy snacks or buy decorations or people when we have VBS, people would pitch in and buy stuff for our VBS parade or all this stuff. And they're using their own money. Right. And I remember someone was bringing it up and I said, and I said, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised that the people who are funding the ministry around here out of their own money that the church is not paying for, that they're taking that money and they're kind of saying, well, this is a portion of my offering to the church or this is a portion of my tithe to the church. And I had one board member say, that's exactly what I do. When I'm buying stuff for bas upwards basketball, when I am buying things to help support the church, when I'm doing things, when I'm buying food and stuff for youth campouts and everything else, all that money that I'm pouring in that the church can't pay for, the church can't afford, that comes out of my tithe. So if I regularly get $500 a week or every two weeks for, for uh, my tithe, if I have a youth campout, that's probably going to be $300 because $200 went to the youth camp out to support that ministry. Well, I would, I would certainly 
agree with that because there has been numerous times in my life and in my ministry where it's like, you know, I, we've talked about this in other podcasts, but like some churches I've had a credit card that the church gave me other churches I haven't. And so like, it's not always easy for me to just, you know, get something purchased if I need it. So I would just go and buy something and just consider, Hey, that's, that's, that's my offering. Right. For the week. Yeah, um, even, some, pe- some people don't agree yeah. with that, but it's like, but, but I'm purchasing stuff for the church, you know, so the church can use it. I don't take it home with me after I'm done with it. It's, it's, you know, like you said, with, with food, for example, like people are going to eat it. It's like you're paying for the food there. It's an offering to the church. It's, it's for ministry. Uh, say you, you know, you go buy, I don't know, 20, uh, five dollar hot and ready's from the church not church but from little caesar's for the church yeah and that's a hundred bucks well there you go um that's an offering but it's a hundred pizzas or i'm sorry 20 pizzas that like that these students who may not have food or may not have a good home life they get they get a pizza party right like i I just look at that as another way of giving and like you said earlier scott giving with a cheerful heart is what paul says in the new testament what better way to bless somebody than with a free meal or, oh, yeah. you know, realizing that you care. There's a, there's a camp and I know that you've done camp ministry or had done camp ministry for years in Moringa, but like my, um, the majority of my camp ministry was more in, in Southwest Ohio camp Lebanon. You know, my great grandmother, uh, cooked, uh, for that camp for years. And then, um, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister did it for years. And it was like, one of the things that I thought was really cool was that like, if these kids wanted to go to church camp, my great grandmother and my great aunt would sponsor like five kids every year to go to camp, basically paying their fees because they knew that they couldn't afford to go to camp. Right. So when I got to the age where I was financially okay and I was working full time, I would sponsor a kid every year for camp or two kids or three kids or whatever it may be. It's like a couple hundred dollars, but mom and dad may not be able to afford it, but that's also a, an opportunity for them to receive Jesus B a burden lifted off of their parents and C they're going to be in a safe place because somebody paid for their tuition for the week to go to camp. And it's like, I'm not doing it just like, Oh, look at me and look what all I did. No, it, it, it's honestly a blessing to me and it's also a blessing to them to give cheerfully so that they can have the reward of, of being able to go to church camp and, you know, maybe, you know, finding Jesus as a result. It's just, this conversation could literally go all over the place, but like, it's just for me, I just feel like there's a sense of judgment if you don't do money a certain way, if you don't give a certain way. And it's like, um, it it just makes you wonder too. Like I'm a big fan and my wife's a big fan. Like we're not like Dave Ramsey people or anything like that, but like we're, we're firm, we're firm believers of living within your means. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Like certainly we have a house payment. We have a mortgage, right? Um, my student loans will be paid off next year for my undergrad. Oh, okay. Alicia, <laughs> no, I didn't have to pay for my master's program, but my undergrad, because I was a millennial and, you know, we hit the recession in 08. I just, my parents couldn't afford college. So I took loans out. So we have a mortgage. My student loans will be paid off next year. We have a car payment, but other than that, like there's no outstanding bills. Right. Yeah. And so we live within our means. My question, I guess for you, Scott, is that like our churches living within their means or being unrealistic with, with their finances. And then let's just say, I don't know, we're a church of 200, 300 people. Oh, we want to build a new sanctuary, take out a million dollar loan. Well, that's on you for the rest of your life, essentially. Right. Unless the church really, really grows and you can just pay out, pay down that mortgage. However, you're going to preach all the time about giving and that we need to get rid of this debt. We need to get rid of this debt. And it makes you wonder how churches do that and why they do that. So instead of living within their means, 
so yeah, let, let's talk about that because that's a huge, that's a huge sticking point with me. So living within our means is very important. And especially when it comes to, I feel like when it comes to smaller churches, I mean, you have to, you have to do it. And I think sometimes depending on the, depending on the uh, type of, depending on the type of mentality that the elder board or the treasurer has, you know, I had one treasurer who said, you know, the budget is a living, breathing thing. Yes, we have to be good stewards of what we have and what's brought in. At the same time, we need to kind of budget for some wiggle room in case if God does call things to grow. We can't be too strict, but we can't be too loosey. We have to kind of, you know, it's we always have to kind of move everything, right? Um, the The next thing is with that is you have other people who are literally they're very laissez-faire with their budget and i mean i worked at a church where literally we would see the budget we would see that we were in the red and that that red mark each month kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and they'd be like oh okay and and was like that for almost a couple years before finally say okay we definitely have to do something because we can't we can't live like this like Mm -hmm. and it's like and it's one of those things where I would say, like, you know, occasionally at the beginning, I'd say, like, hey, like, we need to take care of this. Or, like, sometimes there'd be, I noticed that there would be an issue. Like, one time, there was an issue over at the Parsonage where I just went to do maintenance on the air conditioner. And someone noticed that there was, like, barely any installation up in the attic, which made sure that the AC always would run. From the time it would kick on, it wouldn't kick off until it got cold. Like, it just constantly ran. Because the, and I kept saying, hey, we need to do this. We need to do this. We need to do this. It's going to save money. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of money up front to get installation, but it's going to save money because we're not going to have the heater and the AC over at the parsonage running all the time. And again, I kept the temperature very low. Like I was never, you know, 78 degrees in the summer, 68 degrees in the winter. Like never was like, bumping everything up super high or super cold. And they say, oh yeah, we'll get around to it. And it wasn't until like, you know, years later when now we're having an issue with our budget and then they go, oh, you know what'd be helpful? It's if we put a put installation. So then they would both go pull money from a from an external fund, do the work. And then after that, everything was cool. I mean, I even, one time I know money was so bad and someone made the comment that, hey, you know, the church paid to replace some windows in the parsonage, which needed to be replaced, and was basically alluding to that I needed to reimburse the church for those windows. And I'm thinking, I don't own the house, and they were broken to begin with, and this was an issue I brought up my very first year here, and it didn't get done till years afterwards like it was stuff like that that was very frustrating for me so i say that because when you think about the mega churches and you look at that and i had a buddy who was a pastor at a extension or a campus church when the money started to get very low at a particular church there's a couple things that this church did first thing they went after the youth pastor Because the youth pastor long ago, and this was decided from the original senior pastor when he first was hired, that the youth budget be a separate budget from the rest of the church. That way, any money that the youth made for fundraising or did anything else, the church wouldn't be able to pull that money out and kind of fund, you know, a women's gathering or whatever. Well, many years, one of my pastor, youth pastor buddies got a call from the treasurer and the treasurer was asking for the account information for the youth account. And he's like, well, why do you want to know that? And it's like, well, we have to reconcile some of our accounts here at the church. And he kind of refused. He refused. And I guess apparently it got to the point where he finally left the church. And, you know, then I guess probably after that, they probably like consolidated all that money to, you know, the main mothership. One of my other buddies. Well, the thing that. Oh, I was. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, like, that's another thing, too. Like, it's it's not our money. It's God's money. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Well, so then this the satellite church, they had the satellite church. They were working to build it. And occasionally, you know, at the end of the year, they would be in the red. But each year, they would be in the red less and less. So you could kind of see the improvement. But the thing that kind of broke the straw for my buddy is there was one year where they got their financial chart back for the whole year and they were in the black so you know the campus pastor and my buddy you know they're celebrating they're like yes we know god's great everything else and then two weeks later treasure gets up oh sorry we made a mistake you're actually this much money in the red so then they started looking so then the the campus pastor and my buddy start saying okay let's get somebody else to outside of the church to kind of look and see what happened what they were able to find is a they were in the black but because the mothership was failing so hard they basically took the money that that church would have had like the church that the church that that gives so basically the way they did it is each year the church would give a little bit of an incentive to the satellite church to kind of help them out so what this church did said, hey, since we're struggling, you know that incentive we gave them? We're going to take it back. And they took it back and they said, nope, actually, you're this much in the red. And eventually, they ended up closing down the satellite churches because the mothership was failing. And it also went to, and from what I've heard, and again, I'm not there, so I, I could take this with a grain of salt, but from what I heard, the new pastor was very adamant of doing a lot of these big things, spending all this money to kind of redesign the look of the church, to do all this stuff. Because if you have a certain look to a church, it's going to bring more people in. The look of the church, the exterior of the church. Even though I've been at their parking lot, their parking lot looks like it's almost went from blacktop to gravel because they haven't taken care of it. But hey, if the church looks pretty enough inside, who cares about it that's failing away on the outside right but regardless the look of the church was more important than these two satellite churches that they had so they sheltered them because money was tight and they shut them down and it caused a lot of damage especially my buddy he's still bitter about that you know even though he's at a church where he's active and and his family loves going to that church and they love participating in that church there's a part of them that are very hurt because they've been a part of this congregation for years both with the mothership and then at the satellite and just the way things went down they're still healing from that and i think that's the big thing that frustrates me the most when it comes to money is you know like you said mike the judgment of everything like when you have pastors preaching tithing sermons when you have pastors kind of guilting people that they need to give more money when you have pastors who are asking their staff, hey, are you giving? And like really getting into them about if they're giving or not because they didn't see you put a dollar bill in the plate, even though you may be giving online or you may be, you know, I give every time when I have to buy snacks for my kids for Sunday school. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I think when you look at everything in retrospect, it's very hard to i think it's very difficult for a pastor who is averse in the word of god especially knows the culture of the new testament and the old testament to boldly say and kind of in a way boldly say and threaten people that they need to give 10 percent to the church and if they don't they're robbing god yeah i think that's a very very hard thing to do and if you are someone who does that, then I would be very curious to see how many people, A, are still attending your church, and B, how many people have actually given more money. Because a lot of times when I've preached a tithing sermon or was forced to preach a tithing sermon, um, maybe we saw a little bit of growth, probably for the next three months, and then it'd go back down again. Yeah. So it doesn't really stick. 
So to sum it all up, what would you say is like the right answer, the right thing to do um, in respect to giving like, yeah. So what, what does your church do where you work? Like when you, like in respect to like offering, like during services, like how do they, how do they explain that to people? Um, You know, to be honest, I don't hear it. I mean, if I do hear it, I mean, if I do hear it, it's, you know, usually a lot of times it's just, hey, you know, the pastor was talking about, hey, here's where we are. Here's where it is. I, I guess, and, 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 sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, Scott, but like, I, I, what I mean, though, is like, during, no, 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 like, during a service, like, what do they say? Like, hey, we're just going to take up our offering? No. In our service, we have we do have a bullet. We have like a slide that comes up. Here's the four ways you can give to the church. You can okay. drop money off at the offering plate that's in the back or a box, an offering box or a plate. So we have them in the back if you want to do it. You can you can give online. You can give through text, or you can mail it into the church. Especially you know online viewership. You know if you want to give to the church, they just say here's four ways to give. And that's it. Nothing is really communicated or said. Even even during service, you know how there's always that time where, I mean, at least for the contemporary service, there's nothing that's really give. I do know in the traditional service, we do take a collection. There is a time where they do an offering. And but then, nothing, nothing is said about like, hey, 10%, 10%, 10%. I right? have not heard anything saying 10%. My philosophy and what I tell people, people really... You know, again, like for me, I give 10% or at least I do my best to give 10%. Um, but what I tell people who, especially at their first time, I always say people who are their first time, if they are new to the church and they want to be a integral part of the church and they're asking me about what should I give, I say, basically give something. Give something. I've heard and, that too, which is really helpful. I mean, it's like, you know, and what I say is give something. And then I'd say when you are comfortable giving what you go, try to increase it. And and this is the thing, because, I mean, one thing when my dad, again, my dad's a CFO, one of the things he always said is the one thing he's always noticed in the Bible, that anytime when God says to test him, you can test him with your giving. And I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but he says, test me in this and see if I fill your storehouses. Now, what does that mean in context? Does that mean if I give a little bit, God's going to give me a bunch of money? I know some pastors preach that. Or if I give, then God's going to bless me beyond unbelief. That's what some preachers preach. Oh, you have a sick aunt. If you give, then your aunt will get better. I've heard preachers preach that. But what I think it means, and what I understand in context, is if you give a little bit, I think the overflowing of the storehouses is twofold. If you give a little bit to the church and you test God in that, will you feel like you're being an integral part of the body of Christ? Yes. Or do you feel like that when we say, hey, we are able to do this ministry because of your giving, here's the things we are able to do. You know, we were able to put on this event where five people got to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. It's those sort of things that I think is the feeling of the storehouse is that, you know, if only if I could only give five dollars a week. And knowing that my five dollars had contributed to the gospel being spread to our community for people to know Jesus Christ. That's the filling up of the storehouse. Or. Knowing that, I mean, one thing that the church here does, like every month we do a noisy offering, which is basically fine, loose change. We have these little buckets, you put it in. And then like one of them goes to, we're going to go and help this homeless shelter in Columbus. We're going to go and help this women's shelter and buy them feminine products for this women's shelter. That's our goal. So then when we collect it, we say, hey, for our noisy offering, you guys were able to raise $238. That's all going to go to help feed hungry people, feed starving children in Columbus. This is going to help give women the type of care that they need in these battered shelters. Like these are, I mean, 
And really what we are seeing and what we're modeling is what little, a, a penny, a dime, a quarter, those things that you give do help people. Now, does money that you give to the church, does that help support your staff? Yes, it does. But at the same time, your money also goes to help other things. And I think that's kind of an important thing, too, to remember. And a lot of that really goes through the culture of your church. I mean, if you have pastors who are up there who are every single month they're preaching a tithing sermon or they're yelling at you to give or they're saying, hey, give me your W-2. I'm going to say you need to give this much money because if you don't, you're going to be on church probation or you're going to be kicked out of the church. Then, I mean, if someone said that, it'd be like, well, you know what? I'm out. Like, I'm not going to attend church here anymore because you're basically telling me that I need to give even though I'm giving my life, I'm giving my time. And I'm also giving my finances to minister to people in this church to to funds to fund certain activities at this church. And you're getting caught up because the stuff that I do have marked in an envelope or the check that I do write is not matching up with my total income. Yet you don't see all the things that are hidden, you know, the things that I'm doing that are unseen by man but are seen by my heavenly father. You're not seeing that and you're judging me based on the things that you see and not the things that are unseen. And sometimes I don't feel like, and sometimes I would get to a point in my ministry where I felt like I had to defend myself or I had to reveal the other hand saying, here's all the stuff that I'm paying for out of my pocket that helps support this church. Here's me taking personal funds or professional funds to fund ministries in this church that I really don't have to. These are things that I can go to get conference or get schooling to help be a better pastor, but I'm using it to buy snacks for our upwards basketball program. Because you guys don't have the budget to buy snacks for, you don't have a earmarked budget for snacks for our basketball program. Like that's the thing that people have to be aware that, there are people who give and they mark it on an envelope and they say, here's what I do. Here's my tithe or here's what I'm tithing this month. But I also have a little bit of offering too that I'm giving extra or some other tithe that's a hidden tithe that I'm doing for other things that you may not know about. And I don't think those people who do that have to be privy and share all the different things or give all the different receipts out and saying, here's everything that I have done for this church. And you're now getting on me because my total tithe for the year doesn't match with my income. I think I shared that we, um, I don't know what episode this was on. This might've been a, like a, a year ago or so, but like um, when my mom was still alive early in, you know, my life, my mom loved to to cook. And so part of her ministry mm-hmm. to the church to help my dad was to, to do like a breakfast before Sunday school, you know, for these kids. And um, part of that ministry was the fact that my mom would pay for that out of her own pocket. And my parents were diligent givers, 10%, whatever, right to the church. My mom gave on top of that, pay for the food for these kids that were coming from, bruised and battered and abusive homes and may not have eaten all weekend. And I remember as a kid, there was this one woman who just gave my mother a hard time about that. Why would you do that? Where's this money coming from? Well, my mom was like, well, if you really want to know, I pay for it. And it, you know, it really just, it shut that woman up because it was like, why are you being so accusatory of something that you have no idea about? And she was more mad thinking that it was coming out of a, the general fund of the church than it was that my mom was like taking her own money to pay for the food for these kids who had nothing or came from abusive homes. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, man, I I just really struggle with this idea of giving versus giving. And that Mm -hmm. probably sounds redundant, but like giving, to the church versus giving and blessing people like Jesus would. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. So friends, we want to know your thoughts. Are you like Mike and I, where we kind of struggle with this topic and we're kind of like, eh, whatever. Are you someone who has a good New Testament case of giving 10%? We would like to hear all your comments. So you can go to our website, vscottstemon.com and just send us an email. Let us know. You could also comment both on our Facebook page or even on our YouTube page or even in our, uh, our Podbean site where our podcast is hosted. You could go and comment and leave us a message and we would love to share some of your thoughts on the air on our next episode um if you are also someone who loves this episode or maybe you know someone else who's struggling with this idea of topic or uh, of tithing or maybe you have a pastor that's like give me your money or like hey listen to this like you know either to correct them or to get them more angry so that they can send a scathing letter to us we will appreciate that so <laughs> but Friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. Have a great weekend, and we will be back on with another episode. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Scott Simmons Podcast. The Scott Simmons Podcast is made possible by support from our listeners. We thank listeners like Patty and Scott, whose support goes to this podcast's continual growth and maintenance. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so in a number of ways. First, feel free to give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode and share it with your friends. If you'd like to financially support the Scott Seven Podcast, you can go to the website ko-fi.com slash the Scott Seven Podcast. That website again is ko-fi.com slash the Scott Seven Podcast. Thank you so much for listening.